Hey guys, welcome to episode 104. Do you know what that means? Let me turn this music off. Do you know what 104 means, guys? That means we've hit two years, 52 weeks in a year. We got 104. Um, I think this is a perfect episode to kind of end this season because I, I really wanted to focus on people who, um, not only the people with the disability or the impairment, also the people who help us and look out for us and do so much for us. And um, this is a woman who really embodies that. And um, it was a really great conversation. I did say sorry to her. Adrienne. I felt like I kind of hijacked her episode, but she said not at all. And so I'll, I'll take her word. <laughs> Um, but yeah, she's really fantastic person. And like I said, we just met and that's why I love the naturalness of this podcast that a lot of these people I just meet right before, um, as far as our first actual conversation where we hear each other's voice, um, excuse me, that's our first talk. And, you know, before, I mean, I get to talk to them for like five minutes before the mic goes on, but it's all natural. Like when we bond like that, it's not you know, there's nothing fake or phony. I didn't have anything written down. It just went the way it went. And, um, that's why I love real conversations. And we're in a society now where people don't really talk and have real conversations because we just send emojis and memes and all that crap. And that's supposed to express our personalities. But, um, you know, but this is, I love this because this is a real thorough way of doing it. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy the episode. And again, I hope, um, you keep on uh, staying here with us. We're just going to continue to keep pushing the envelope and just having great people on like her. And so uh, we'll see you guys uh, next week because we're not done. There will be a third year. Yes, there will. All right, guys. See you soon. All right, guys. So we're back again. We're just kind of just freestyling this and jumping in. Um, you know, I found our next guest again. I, I talk about Podmatch a lot, but it really is a good template for people who are trying to jump into podcasting. Um, not just for people, you know, finding people with disabilities, but there's so many. There's a plethora of entrepreneurs and so on, and what you're trying to find on there. So, uh, but our next guest, I found, I and mean, she's relatively new to the site, and uh, you know, I'm always looking around, and um, you know, she has a different outlook on. Uh, you know, what people with disabilities go through. Um, but I was reading what she does and, and she really does a lot and uh, it's, it's great to have her on. So you want to introduce yourself and obviously tell a little about yourself. Yeah, TJ, thank you so much for having me on. I am Denise Pane. I am the CEO and founder of Access Design Studio. We create accessible websites for hospitality businesses. And I went through a rebrand this last year. I've had a web agency for 20 years, 21, and just recently started focusing on accessible web design for the hospitality industry. Yeah, and that's, and so one of the things I said to you off air is just because, you know, as I've said, there's always been this kind of convoluted battle between mentally with people with disabilities of, of trusting people who don't have disabilities and, and what their experience is with us because of, you know, obviously a lot of past history and a lot of bad things that have been done, but it doesn't mean that people are not genuine or not advocating for us. And obviously I had my friend Kendra on and, and there's many others. Um, and so, uh, I guess kind of, like I said, we might, I guess we should start with, you know, obviously a little bit about your upbringing and then kind of how you got to, 
your thoughts on people with disabilities and your experience. Yeah, so I am 53. My brother is 56, and he is he was born with epilepsy, and he is developmentally delayed. Okay. And so he and my mom are the most important people in my world. They always have been. And my dad uh, passed uh, oh, quite many years ago. So, you know, growing up with him, it was, I watched my parents on this incredible journey. And of course I was young. I didn't know I was watching it, but I was watching this incredible journey where they had to learn what this all meant and how to create a life for my brother that was vibrant and rich while keeping him safe. Mm-hmm. Because somebody with epilepsy, just purely life, is can be dangerous, right? He has uncontrolled grand mal seizures. Very, you know, like lots of risk there. And they wanted to make sure he lived a fantastic life, rich with experiences. Before before you go so, on, I've I've asked please. parents who've had multiple kids. And there's always, especially when they have a kid that has a disability and one doesn't, but you're kind of on the opposite spectrum. Are you, were, did your parents ever have the conversation with you to tell you like why your brother gets a little special more treatment, more, more treatment than you do? Because I know that there's a jealousy thing that can happen and obviously a kid can feel alienated and, and I've never actually interviewed a person who was on the other side of it. I've usually had to interview the kid or the, the parent of the, the kids. Um, so yeah, did you have a conversation with your parents to kind of know what was wrong with your brother and why your brother kind of gets more treatment or, or more love in, in a way than you? Yeah, that's a really good question. And they did have those conversations with me. I have to say my parents did an incredible job. They had zero experience. They were working class, you know, zero as well as zero experienced people with disabilities, they figured it out on the fly and they did a damn fine job of doing it because I never felt like I was left behind. They did have the conversation that's like, hey, these are why these things are happening with Curtis because he didn't actually start having seizures until he was 11. Mm-hmm. You, act, you know, he was developmentally delayed um, at birth because of a forceps, a high forceps birth. And so that's what caused the issues. We didn't have seizures until, so yeah, when he started having seizures and things started getting really serious, then they would have conversations. Here's what's going on. But they just walked the line with us so incredibly. And walk the line is actually a bad analogy. They just, they circled us in their embrace, the both of us together as a family so much that I never felt left behind. My brother never felt left behind. There could also be the opposite, right? Where it's the, the able-bodied, um, I was an athlete, I was a good athlete, all the things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, could be getting more attention. That was never the case. He was a special Olympian. It was a family event. It was the best family event of the whole year. Like, they just, they did an amazing job. So I was really lucky in that, in that sense. Oh, that's cool. Did, did you feel like you had to be technically the big sister, like the protector of him? Since he, you know, obviously... He's got a lot of issues that keep him from being able to do certain things. And you, I know you obviously loved your yeah. brother. Did you feel like you had to be the bigger sister to protect him from the world? That is such an interesting question, TJ. And the answer is yes and no as I think about this. Like, my whole family 
they were just really sort of strong personalities, right? And so I definitely had the sense of like, you are not going to talk smack about my brother. And she, though, was, she was, we're, my whole family is athletes, and he was a, a, you know, strong, he played all kinds of sports and lifted weights, and she was completely willing to beat up anybody who looked at me sideways. Like, he took that role very seriously, <laughs> yeah. and he would do that. So it was kind of like, he had the physical prowess, and I had the sort of verbal, right? So we protected each other. Now, when we got into it with each other, that was a whole different story. Yeah. But for the outside world, we we absolutely protected each other. Oh, that's cool. Did it, like I mean, obviously, yeah. growing up younger, and you know, again, especially high school and school in general, there's always the peer pressure of you know trying to be cool and pretty and all those things. And obviously, yeah. I'm sure you had other experiences with people maybe who looked a little different or had some sort of impairment or whatever. Um, where did you ever, did you always feel, because again, it's kind of leading up to where you are now. Like, did you always feel like you should protect or, or always be kind to people that were a little different or did you ever feel p- pressured to actually kind of be one of the cool kids and say, ah, screw that kid because he looks like that or so on. Yeah. So I guess because it was from when I was so young, like my brother has lots of friends with disabilities and lots of friends without disabilities. He was in integrated, he was integrated into regular ed, but also had special ed support, you know, et cetera. So these people were my friends and in part of our, you know, when I say these people, sorry about that, people with disabilities. No, you're fine. Had, yeah, thank you. He, they were part of our family in my life. So like, it never, it didn't cross my mind, and I don't want to say this was anything noble or anything. It was just never, I'm blessed with a really, like, sort of just a, a, a self-confidence that I've always had, so it's never been something I've had to think about. Yeah. Like, it just never crossed my mind that they wouldn't be brought, when they're walking down the hallway, hey, Anthony, how's it going? You know, what are you doing this weekend? Kind of, you know, it's just, I was really, I was, I was really lucky in that way. And then when I got older, sort of high school and beyond, then I sort of developed a sort of like, it became a, a, a passion of mine. Like if somebody, cause my brother started to wear like a, a helmet and then a full hockey helmet to like face mask and the whole thing. And so say, for example, we'd walk into a restaurant. Now, of course it's going to make People are going to stare because that's really freaking weird. Someone's walking in with a, like a full helmet on. Like, what's going on? I have no problem with that. Like, curiosity, 100%. You've got questions? Absolutely. Kids, they always come up and ask questions. And my brother always wanted to answer. It's the pointing and laughing. That's when you are going to see me getting in your face. And I just, you know, that's just how I am. Like, I am going to mad dog you and I am going to stare and I am going to bring it to your attention that you're being an asshole. And if that's not enough, like if you don't see me, like I'm going to step forward and I'm not going to say anything and I am going to stare straight at you. It's just how I've always felt. And my brother will do the same thing for me. It seems like you got, I mean, like you said, you had this very tight niche family and you guys protected each other. So 
it seemed like, you know, it's the trickle down effect where you guys, you know, whatever you got from your mother and your father yeah. and obviously some from your brother, your brother got some from you and from your parents and, and whoever else was close in your family, it kind of made you just one strong unit. But even when you're by yourselves, you still instill those same qualities to kind of push back against the world that says whatever is not the norm um, for you is. And you just, you know, that kind of morphed you into who you became. Absolutely. You just completely nailed it. And so having that experience as a young person and growing up has made me very, you know, just vocal about my, about things that I believe are right and things that I believe are wrong because it, like you said, it was infused from a very young age. It wasn't taught, you know, specifically taught. It was just who we were as a family and as people. And now it's just a completely integral part of who I am as an adult. Yeah. What do you, what do you feel like you, like from your brother and all the experiences went through? Cause I'm sure there were some really dark days and bad days, but what, what do you feel like yeah. is like the biggest thing you learned from him? My brother is the most phenomenal human being. I mean, like he's the most phenomenal brother I could ever have asked for. He will support me no matter what through anything. You know, he's got challenges that are just, you know, crazy and he's always there for me, always, 100%, without question. And I have seen him, I have seen him struggle, you know, like when he wanted to play on regular, you know, regular uh, sports teams, you know, whether it was football or basketball and wasn't allowed to, like, it broke his heart. And then he found the teams he could play on and he excelled at those. And he, the man pursues, he just, he's not going to, he's not going to, he's not going to let, his, his disabilities, there's just, just, there's some inherent um, ways that they are going to limit him. That just, that just simply is. But he's going to push up off against that boundary every single time. Right. Well, Even I, though it breaks his heart. Yeah. You know? No, I, I've said this many times on here. I feel like the world is like a house with no doors or no windows. But as a person with a disability, we're on the outside and we have to find our way in. We know that it's going to be hard. We know there's going to be, I mean, whether it's climbing up through the smokestack or the, the chimney, we got to do, we got to find our way in this house and we got to find a way to get in and we're going to do it one way or another. It's going to be very hard. Um, and you know, we also got to leave that house and then we got to get back in and we got to do it every day, every day. And it's never going to get easier. Um, maybe a little bit for some, depending on what their condition is and all, but in general, for someone like your brother, like, yeah, you're his, not, there's probably not one day that's easy. There's easier days. Like for me, I'm not having the greatest eye day today, but maybe tomorrow will be a better eye day and it'll be better. But, for, but if the average person woke up with my sight, they would, they would, immediately panic and go to the hospital and go, Oh my God, what the hell is going on? But for me, that's the norm. Yeah. So a good eye day for me is a horrible eye day for the average person, but I'm so used to it. And I'm so mentally, you know, I'm gotten to a point where I'm maturity and, and being able to accept and, and maybe not fully accept fully. Cause it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's never going to be easy, but it's, it strengthens me. And so, um, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that kind of sticks with you as a, as a, you know, a person who's very close to him, you see everything that he has to endure, but he still makes time for someone like you, 
obviously you're his sister, but he makes time for you and he still shows love and care when he has every option just to stay in his yeah. room and cry or, or be angry. Yeah. Yeah. It just, just as you were describing today, like you have a, a mental fortitude around it that you have developed over time because there's this sense of what's my other option? Like, I don't want to sit in my room and cry. I want to live a vibrant life. And so I'm going to tackle this. And for my brother, he, my whole family, we have, we call it, quote, unquote, giving each other a bad time. Like, we are the, the like, reigning supreme at, like, ribbing each other and kneeling each other and joking each other, you know. And he loves doing that to me and my mom and my dad was the king of it, you know. And so, um, and he still does that all the time. Like, he just. He cracks himself up. He cracks us up, and I do the same to him. Like I'm right, I'm I'm coming right back. One of the the funnest things that we do with each other is uh, we're just always joking and laughing. You know, it's yeah, it's pretty special. But I bet if you ask him, like that type of normalcy for him, because he doesn't get a lot of normalcy. Like the the world is not going to be yeah. So he, for you guys to treat him like he's a normal person, which he is, he just has one thing that just makes him different and it really isn't that big of a deal to the people that love him and, and that he's important to but if you ask him I'm sure he would say how much he respects and loves that because you know me and my friends have a thing about fuck limitations because yes we have limitations I know I can't drive but I know that that's one of the only limitations that I have and I can do anything I want to do I mean I put a whole damn cat tree together for my cat with very blurry vision last night, my eyes were just really tired and I'm reading the directions and I'm trying hard and I should have just waited for someone to help me. But I said, no, I'm going to do this because I love my cat and I want to put this big thing together. And, you know, like I said, the limitations part, people are going to put limitations on your brother. That doesn't mean those are actually a limitation for him. And for people like you, just being his sister and his mom and dad and all, like you guys treat him like there is no limitations, that he is a normal person. And you support him when he goes to his events. And yeah, it may be a little different, but he you still look at him as an athlete. Whereas some people just go like, oh, well, he's not an athlete. He performs in one of those weird Olympics. It's like, no, he it's just because right. no one was willing to accept him and allow him to try uh, something else. So these people are, are open enough and they will give him a chance. And like I said, you treat him, you give him the normalcy that the rest of the world doesn't give him. So it, it, I'm sure what you, what he gives you you give them right back. It's just, you know, obviously you, you got, you got to be, you know, humble and, and all that, but you know, I'm sure that, yeah. like I said, it's the balance of your family that you're so tight niched and love each other that you all do something for each other. It's just, maybe it's not completely right out there. Cause you all, you know, you guys got to be tough and you're athletes. And so, um, but you all know you love each other and you're all there for each other. Yeah. You have an interesting, you have a, you have deep insight very quickly because you're just, <laughs> you're athletes. You really do. Thank you. I, well, I, I look, mm-hmm. I, I genuinely care. And obviously, I'm close to the situation, not this specific situation. I've interviewed a lot of people, but I'm also, you know, my sister was epileptic. And, you know, I, I've, uh, I, I did a little, I did some helping with, with special needs children where, you know, I used to get a school bus. Uh, somehow, my one of my uh, teachers or like my vision itinerant, she got me a, a school bus to go to high school. Uh, just like a little tiny school bus. But I was the only student that would go to that to this regular school, but there was another school that had this special needs program and they would pick them up. So I was the first one to be picked up, but they would pick up all these other kids, but they needed someone to kind of help them get off and kind of keep them calm and all that. And that's kind of where I came in. And so, and I had, I had other little experiences with them as well. 
And, you know, I've had different experiences with many different disabilities. And so, and again, like I said, I am a person with a disability. So I look at, you know, any inner strength that people have, it's just, it's amazing to me. Not, not even people with disabilities. Like I said, people who go through domestic violence or addiction issues or whatever. People who just overcome, you know, I nearly died twice. All my skin burned off, hair fell out. And I, I went, I went through hell. And again, I battle my mental health every day, which is another disability in my eyes. And, you know, I go through many challenges, but I keep getting up and I know so many people like your brother. And it, it to me, it's always a, a beautiful thing. Um, and I, and I, I, like I said, I've always had to look, my perspective has always had to be outside the box, the, the outside the house necessarily. Just, I'm always trying to find a way in and I'm always trying to find, uh, to solve problems. And, and, and I'm, I, you know, one of the things with people with disabilities that I love the most that kind of get swept under the rug is that the people that are perceived to be the most broken are the people that are always trying to help people. And, you know, it's, it's yeah. yeah. And that's, and that's, that's, what's crazy about the whole thing. Um, yeah. Do you, do you think, you know, like obviously your brother is like a real huge example of what kind of people you want to be around, you know, cause we, we go through life and you're now older now and I'm not making fun of you, I promise, but you're now older now. You're, you're you got your life. You, you, you've really built a nice network and you're doing all these great things. But like when you were trying to find like the perfect, you know, par, you know, a partner to be with or friends in your life, did you look at someone like your brother? Whereas like, there's a lot of people that bitch and complain about the silliest nonsense. It's like, Oh, I got a flat tire and all that. And it's like, yeah, that's a problem. But when you look at your brother who has all this inner strength and he finds every reason to not give up and he keeps going, like, was that a characteristic that you were looking for in other people in your life? Like, like I said, a, a husband or a friend. Yeah. Or whatever. yeah, that's a good question. Um, I have no doubt that it, you know, that, yeah, just, just watching my brother, like, be an amazing human being every single day through the thick and the thin has absolutely given me, like, a sort of a, um, a bar, right, of, like, of how, of resiliency and what I want to, what I want to see in people. And I like what you say about who I want to hang out with or who I want to, you know, have a romantic relationship with and being intentional around that because I I actually find that even happening more after the pandemic. But TJ, one thing that made me, I thought of as you were describing that, I, I, I never had put my finger on like was, well, the way watching my brother, is that who I, I'm looking for in a, in a, in a, um, you know, and, uh, and people I want to hang out with. But what I absolutely have known since I was maybe 14 or 15 is I will judge people by the way they interact with my brother. Right. I am really clear about people that I do and do not want to hang out with after five minutes of spending time with my brother. Right. Because well, I wanted to make it known, like, I'm not saying you want to find somebody that looks like your brother or like, your, you know, like something weird, but just characteristic. No, 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 I know, you know, but I'm just saying yeah. for other people, because, you know, the reality is like, there, there's, you find someone who that is that strong and it goes through it and you're obviously, you know, inspired by him and, and you, you're in awe of what he goes through and how he keeps going. And then you may get out in the dating world and you'll find some of these weak ass people that are just they're just so offended yeah. by every little thing and the, like they don't want to work or they don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. They don't want to put half the effort in into anything, especially into a relationship. Um, and like uh, I said, you have this strong example of your brother where it's just like, this is true strength. This is a person who, you know, embodies just a person of strength and just a, a 
great person and, and they never give up. And then it's like, well, how that you have such a huge bar to, for set for regular people now, because now if someone wants to come into your life and they're just kind of weak minded and they're, they're, they're easily just kind of, they give up to any little thing. You're just like, oof, like it's gotta be a huge turnoff. It's like, ugh, like what, like really? Completely. Yeah. 100%. Like you nailed it. It's just like, I, I really don't have time for whininess and, you know, petty, like, meany, you know, pity party stuff. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, we all struggle and I have struggled and, and all of that. But just the, like, living in that place, I just, I really don't have time for it. Right. Yeah. I mean, we all give into whatever desires and other random things, but when you get to a point, like I said, when I mentioned that you were older is that you're a person of maturity and now you, you got your life together and you probably have all the right people in your life that you need to for the most part. And you know, but I'm, but there, there is a process to get to this point. You know, you said you're 53. Well, obviously you had to go through your twenties, which is in your teenagers years, which is hard. You go through your thirties and your forties and obviously you lose people and you know, whatever, and people betray you and all that. And, there's got to be a certain bar that needs to be set or just like a, you know, an application that goes out for people that wants to be in your life. They can't be some just weak person that just wants to sit on the couch and just whine about whatever job or whatever. It's like, just get out there and do something yeah. because there's people that are less fortunate than you. Yeah, completely. You know, absolutely. That's so true. Yeah. Uh, and my point about, uh, you know, like the way people interact with my brother, like, I can learn so much in five minutes because depending on my brother's day, it sounds like you have some days with your vision that are, you're struggling more and some days when you're not. Yeah. Same with him in terms of like, uh, sometimes his speech is hard to understand depending on what's happening in his brain, you know, with his medicine and with his epilepsy and, and all the things. So it's just interesting. Plus he, you know, is wearing a mask and a face mask and a helmet and, and I can, you know, you can, I can tell so much about somebody within five minutes of them seeing and meeting my brother, right? There's, like I said, curiosity, a hundred percent. Like it's, it, it's different, right? There's something different going on there. If you're curious, that's great. But some people like, they disregard him instantly. Like they'll, they'll turn to me and start asking questions. And I'm like, about him. And I'm like, what are right, you doing? Right. You know, and Absolutely. Or, or they'll be like, and I get I get the uncomfortability. People just are not used to being around people with disabilities. I, I have no problem with being uncomfortable. If, if you disregard him, treat him rudely, talk to him in a high-pitched voice like he's two years old, right. like all of these things, that's where I am. That's where I'm just like, okay, you showed your character. But there are lots of ama- amazing ways to be with, to interact with my brother. Like, try to talk with him, right? Try to understand him. Um, ask him the question. The other day I had a friend over, we were visiting my mom and bro and I brought a friend who had never met him. She turned to him and is like, where's your bathroom? And I, afterwards I'm like, you have no idea what that tells me about you. How big that is. That doesn't happen. People don't ask my brother where the bathroom is. You know, that's something that simple. They just don't. And so I can just tell a lot about a person, you know? Oh, and again, like when it comes down to it, if you ask, Every person that I've ever asked with a disability, they will always say that people will treat them different regardless. And again, your brother shows certain signs of, you know, obviously, I don't know what you want to say it, but being a little off or whatever. And people, you know, yeah. but every person with a disability gets perceived to be that same way, even if they aren't or not. Like with my case, I like I look at close to a phone. 
my iPhone to go see stuff. And it's like, oh, he's slow because he can't read. And he's looking at the screen. He's, he's got his head against the screen. It's like, like, dude, Dick, you don't know anything about me. It's just, it is what it is. But, you know, and then it's like with your brother, it's like, yeah, I mean, there are people that maybe, you know, whether you warn them or tell them like, hey, my brother's this and that. But even if you don't, it's like, yeah, you really can tell, you know, because I, it's the same way I have people in my life. Like I had a friend who at one point we were talking and her friend was dating a guy with some sort of speech impediment and she started making fun of him. And again, I, at first I was kind of, I was kind of jumping in and having fun because I thought he was joking. No one told me anything. And again, this was over the phone. So there was no, uh, there was no visuals. And so she's going all in on him and attacking. And then I'm like, but I'm like, Hey, you, you have heart problems and you're always in the hospital and I have an eye problem. Like, this is not, this is not right. Like I love you and all, but this is bullshit. You can't, right. be, you can't be doing it. Cause I immediately apologized to him. I'm like, dude, I didn't know. No one told me anything. So I was just messing with you. I really yeah, didn't yeah. know that you had a problem. Um, and so, you know, he was cool, whatever. But, and, and so I went after him. I was like, as much as I love you, like, and I care for you, like, I'm not going to tolerate that in my life because, you know, like, I don't, I don't want people making fun of homeless people or people making, you know, like, I don't care. Like, you might have an experience, but that makes it even worse. Like, because I've seen people who are visually impaired make fun of blind people. It's like, do you think you're that much better because you're a few percentages up? Like, you don't get a pass yeah. for making fun of somebody just because you were less fortunate and you went through it yourself. It sucks. I was bullied in, in, yeah. in you know, in a young age and I, you know, yeah. And there was little times where I tried to bully someone a little bit here and there when I was like in third grade or any of that crap, but I didn't, I didn't take it into eighth grade. I didn't take it into high school. I didn't take it into, you know, further in life. Um, because I, you know, I was a kid going through the, the motions or whatever, but you know, when you know better, you know, when you just, when I meet somebody who has any condition, it's like, I immediately just, I feel for them. And then I, I, I go, like, I just talk to them and, and I figure out what, what I can do to kind of interact with them. Because I'm sure your brother will get frustrated when people do that little baby thing. Because look, at the end of the day, he is an adult. You say he's 56. And I'm sure some of his bad days is when his speech is really messed up and he's trying to convey yeah. something to you. And he sounds, however he sounds, especially, you know, mental you know to ourselves we're always always sound worse than what comes out to the regular to the public or to the people so to him he sounds even worse than he already is and i'm sure it's heartbreaking because he, he's trying to tell you something that is from the heart and he sounds awful and you know again he's an adult so some people aren't just going to take him serious because it's like oh he's just crazy or, or whatever the issue is um and, and that's got to be is yeah. right word it is he just wants to interact with people as humans do. Right. And so a lot of times what my mom and I do is we actually will position ourselves next to him and we call it translating because, of course, we can understand him much better because we're used to it. Mm -hmm. So we will just repeat what he says, you know, in obviously a way that, you know, people can, can understand because they can understand us because he just wants to have human connections like everybody else. Yeah, no, of course. Um, so kind of transitioning, like, where do you kind of go from your brother to what you do now? Like, what's the middle? Like, what's the journey to that? <laughs> yeah. So I, um, you know, when I was young, I were I was a Special Olympics volunteer for a gazillion years, and and then I was a director of a an integrated camp for kids with and without disabilities. And then I was a sports director at a camp for kids, uh, you know, a residential camp for kids and adults with disabilities. And I worked in a special ed classroom. And then 
I completely pivoted and started a web design agency. Before, before you go on, I'm, I'm so sorry. That, I don't mean to cut you off. Can you, can you please, just give like please. a little background of like what behind the scenes of like what it's like to work for like the Special Olympics? Because a lot of people don't have that, you know, they, they don't have that on their resume. So what is it like to, you know, obviously help set this event up and be around all these people that are going to be performing and all that? Um, yeah, can you just take us a little behind the scenes? Awesome. Like, it's the energy is just like with any athletic event, right? These people are competitors. They're out there to, like, have a great time and win. One thing that just makes me want to pluck my hair out is that people think that people with disabilities, especially with mental disabilities, mm-hmm. are just happy-go-lucky and everything's fine and they just... They're just they have the same range of complex emotions as everybody else. And some people are happy-go-lucky and are just fine. And some people, like my brother, are absolute competitors, right? And they're out there to, like, do their best. And they train. And, you know, like, it's just so fun. And we get we practice for months. You know, well, we practice actually year-round. But it would be different seasons for different sports. Um, and so... And just like with any athlete, you've got every personality. You've got some people that are just like, whatever. And some people that are just like, ah, you know, like, I got to get better. And my brother was definitely somebody who wanted to compete well. And um, and then the day of, well, it used to be when I was young in Sacramento. I'm in the Sacramento, I'm in the Tahoe area right now. But I grew up in Sacramento and my mom and brother are still there. It was, the Special Olympics was a three-day event. It started Friday afternoon and it went through Sunday. It was a massive event. Mm-hmm. And it was so fun. It was a huge, it was always like the highlight of the, 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 you know, the year for my family. And our friends all came out. And so here you are spending two and a half days with, with these athletes who are out there having a great time and competing and training and wanting to do their best and comparing this year, how well they threw the shot with the last year, et cetera. It's, it is a tremendous experience. And there's so much love flowing, so much laughter. And I highly recommend it for anybody who, you know, there's lots of motivations to do it, but you are just going to feel damn good being there. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just, I wanted you to get that out because there's a lot of people that don't know what that experience is like. Uh, you may see videos or pictures or whatever, but... I don't think I've ever described it. I've never been asked that. So thank you for asking that. Yeah, because it's it's important because there's a lot of people that just think it's a joke. And they just think, oh, it's just like a, just uh, a place for these weirdos or freaks or whatever you want to look at it as. And it's like, not like these people really try. And I think a lot of people just think that's just people bumbling up and down, just doing whatever. And it's like, no, these there's a lot of these people that take this legitimately, legitimately serious. Um, and it's a real event. It's a, absolutely a real event in my brother's life. He asked. Absolutely. 100%. And it's still it. That's awesome. Um, But go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead back to where you you were transitioning to what you're doing now and from the Special Olympics and all that. Yeah. And so I started this web design agency, a design and marketing agency. And my focus was supporting women-owned businesses. This was in 2000. And so jumped to 2020, 20 years you know, later of my web design agency, um, the pandemic hit. And I hear myself and, you know, my family and my friends and all of us whining, you know, just really struggling with being cut off 
from those life experiences that make life rich, robust, and vibrant. You know, whether that is going to the theater, going to, you know, wine tasting, whether it's going bowling, whether it's, you know, like all of these, going to a museum, all of these things that make life vibrant. And I was hearing it over and over from myself. I was reading about it in the newspaper. There was a mental health crisis around the fact that we were cut off, right, from each other and from these kinds of experiences. <clears throat> and so... Are you saying because I don't of COVID? Know. Yes. Okay. Yes, sorry. Okay. Because of the pandemic, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. I just wanted to fill and in the blank. So, yeah, so I appreciate that. Okay. So... Got you back. I started thinking about this. So it's just like, this is something that people with this, many people with disabilities experience every single day because we are so digital now. We are so web-based. And most websites are not accessible. They have not been coded for accessibility. So people with varying abilities can't get on and book a table at a restaurant. They can't book the viewing at the art museum. They can't buy theater tickets. They can't, I mean, I'm sure you read about, they couldn't even get online and sign up for a COVID vaccine. Right. right? Yeah. There was that whole huge, anyways, it was a federal website that was not accessible to blind people. So, um, it just, I started sitting in that, like, this is what people with disabilities experience. This frustration, you know, and I just, it started just really churning and bubbling inside me that, like, I have everything needed to make a difference here. I have had a web design agency for 20 years. I have an amazing team. They are incredible. I have worked with dozens and dozens of hospitality industries over in my career. And I have a lifetime of experience with people with disabilities. I am no expert. I don't have a disability. I, there are so many gaps in my knowledge, but I have passion and I have love. Yeah. And so I thought I can, like, I can make a difference. Yeah. Was this one of these things that you started and then all of a sudden it was kind of right in front of you? Uh, like how you got to this point? Like, was it something that was like right in front of you? And then all of a sudden you just like, it was just because like when I start, like I told you earlier, I was doing the podcast and I didn't have a direction for it. And then it slowly developed into something. And then certain thoughts that were not there just kind of developed over time. And I'm like, oh, yeah. this is what I should have been doing the whole time. But you had to kind of go along the journey to kind of figure out. So you, you found something you really like doing, but obviously maybe you didn't have as much passion for it or whatever, but you found something in there. You went, oh, okay. Obviously you have the connection to your brother and all that. And and you're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And you connect, and then you started to connect the pieces and kind of turned it into something that you were passionate about. Completely. And it all just started making sense in my heart to where it, that's what ended up guiding me through the process. Cause it was, oh my gosh, the, 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 you know, the process to make a website accessible is really technical. And I'm not a developer, so I didn't need to learn that, but I needed to learn like about, Web content accessibility guidelines called WCAG 2.1. Those are the, the, the guidelines for making a site accessible. I had to learn, like, I had to learn so much that wasn't necessarily my interest level. I'm not interested in, like, the technical aspects of, of coding and that kind of thing. That's why I hired someone amazing to do that. And then, but my whole team, we all jumped in and we got trained in what web accessibility is and they, 
they became so passionate. My team is already is already um, comprised of people who are interested in social justice. That's why they're part of my team, right. and that's why they make you know a good part of my team. So when I started telling them that, um, oh my gosh, I am so sorry, the UPS person is going to be coming up, and my dogs are going to go crazy. Um, you want me to pause it real quick? Okay, sorry guys, I had to pause it because right. her puppers went off. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, you know, I would tell them like what I was going through through this process, like where my motivation was coming from. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like everybody was so on board and the idea that they could be a part of, you know, this movement, this movement to make sure this movement of digital accessibility so that everybody of every ability can access the web. The web is such an integral part of, of our lives. And so they became so passionate and then together we just, it just all made sense. And the amount of hours that they put in to train, and, uh, you know, my designer had to understand what accessible to the and design. She's a senior designer, right? She's an expert designer. But now all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're throwing in this whole concept of accessible design. What does that mean? And how do I do it? And my developer had to, I mean, he's still training. Like it's not, you know, an easy process. And we just all, it just made complete sense to all of us. Right. Well, what do you, what do you think? Like, look, clearly you have, you're a very caring person and you have an attachment to people with disabilities, but that doesn't mean you're still like you could still be ignorant to certain things that people with disabilities go through. Like, what what makes you care all of a sudden about, let's say, the deaf and the blind, like these ways of having accessibility? Because you could still forget about all that stuff and and think like, okay, obviously, you know, you know, we exist and all that, but we're nothing like your brother. You know, we have similarities, right. but we're totally different. Now, I'm, I'm not saying you never had experiences with people like me or people with deaf deafness or whatever, yeah. but I mean, like, what what made you really what, what, what is in you that made you like really care and even think about those people? Gosh. You know what I mean? Cause it's, it, it, it's, it, you know, like I said, yeah. you could have, a, you know, a, a, some sort of love and care for people with disabilities, but it doesn't mean, you know, not everybody backs it up either. Not everyone, you know, and again, there's so many different disabilities. Um, and every person with a different, different disability needs different accommodations. Um, yeah. And obviously blindness and deafness are probably two of the most popular um, because there's more of us than most people with disabilities. But, um, you know, for you to actually take the time and actually go out and care, um, it, it obviously says a lot about you. But what made you actually have that? What do you think ha- gave you that mindset? God, that's such a good question. And I guess it's just, you know, just the way I grew up and just living with people of varying abilities, not only in my house, but in my life, and just knowing for myself the things that make, you know, make me happy and the memories that I hold and I cherish and just wanting that for everybody. You know, TJ, I actually don't know the answer. I'll have to think about that. No, it's okay. I just, I, you know, because like I said, I like to get into people's mindset and you know, like I said, there's a lot of genuine people that are thinking of, because it's hard to, like I said, it, the disability community is the hardest community to accommodate. It's the hardest community to fight for because there's so many different variants. It's like when you fight for the black community or whatever, like, yeah, there's different 
types of black people. There's different countries and so on. And, you know, obviously you got the, the LGBTQ community and obviously there's different variations of gender and all these different things. But with the disability community, there's hundreds to thousands. Like you don't really know. I mean, as I said before uh, on here, you know, we our logo is a guy in a wheelchair and the majority of us aren't even in wheelchairs. So it's, and so there's, like I said, everybody has, there's a different, you know, there's people that don't think people with dwarfism are a disability, but they absolutely are. You know, there's people that don't think mental health is a disability. Obviously you have all these invisible chronic illnesses and so on. So, you know, you could be considering, you you obviously have a lot of love for, you know, people like your brother and, you know, other conditions, but to actually remember like, oh yeah, like those little dots on the elevator saying what floor they are and that helps the blind or you know, that description on that YouTube video, that was for the deaf. Like you could still forget about those people. And for you, like, I think it's great that you actually, you're, you're trying to include everyone because a lot of people talk about inclusion and equality. And and I think equality is one of those. It's kind of, it's kind of a false word because it's really hard because none of us are really equal to each other. It's just maybe on certain levels, maybe pay scale and whatever else. But, um, but for you, like you, you genuinely mean inclusion, and you're trying to remember everybody and try to bring everybody in. I think that's, you know, like I said, it says a lot about you. Thanks. And one of the, my, one of the things that I love the most is, so I, we work with hospitality businesses and people think of hospitality as hotels and it does include hotels, but you know, there's, it's the, the hospitality is a much larger, um, you know, it covers a lot more. Like for example, I had mentioned, um, you know, wineries, but it could be, you know, RV resorts or campgrounds or nightclubs, you know, casinos, um, zoos, you know, amusement parks, that golf courses, country clubs, etc. So one thing that I love when I'm working with, with business owners or I do a lot of, you know, speaking at conferences and that kind of thing is seeing the light go on in their eyes that is just as you described, that they they understand that accessibility is about quality of life for real people because they see it as another regulation that's a pain in their ass. And they, they have, you know, they, they, they spent a lot of money on accessibility, then, you know, there, here comes another law, and they just, they forget a lot of time. This yeah. is actually about humans. Yeah. And so when I start describing, as you talked about, that there are, you know, we're talking about people with ADD, ADHD, with autism, with dyslexia, with colorblindness, people with, you know, mobility issues. And I, you know, and I start kind of just, then they're like, oh, this is actually about my son. This is about my grandma. This is about my neighbor. Like they start making that connection that it's about humans. And then they're motivated and it's intrinsic motivation. They get that it's the right thing to do. It's the responsible thing to do. And it affects humans as well as it makes good business sense. Because right now they're just motivated out of fear of being sued. And they see those lawsuits as being just predatory. Right. Well, one of the biggest so things, especially I, with, em- uh, with employment, a lot of these companies, because I, I think most people with disabilities will tell you this. There's a very a big subliminal way of saying like, no, thank you. You know, like when I tell people I have a disability when I was going for jobs, it would be like, wow, you're really courageous and you do this and you do that. And, you know, we'll get back to you. But some of the words that they would say, um, you know, I've told this story once, but I was working at this one place that sold like kind of premium type of clothing. 
and I would do packaging or whatever. And there was a woman that came over to get some tape uh, and it was next to me. And she said, Hey, by any chance, do you work at hope? And I'll be, that this place, uh, they, they hire nothing but special needs kids and they work and it's a really nice place. And she asked me that she said, by any chance, do you, did you ever work there? And I said, no, why are you asking this? And she goes, by no chance, just, uh, uh, no reason, just my husband worked there. And so she, then she walks away, it was very nonchalant, and then I had to piece it together, and I'm like, oh, she's saying because I have an eye problem, I, I, need, I should be working at that place. And I can't prove that to HR, because again, why do you go up to a random person who you know, yes, has a vision problem, but it has shown nothing else as far as any mental capabilities, I talk fine, you know, so on. Uh, maybe I'm a little quiet sometimes when I don't know everyone, but in general, I I had enough conversations with people around her and her, she should know that I obviously shouldn't be working there. Um, and so she asked me that question just based off the fact of her ignorance. And that's something I can't prove because I went to HR about it and I'm not that kind of person. I don't, I don't really care about that stuff, but I was so pissed off that it was really affecting my work because I was so frustrated that someone actually went to, took the time out of my day to just ask me something stupid like that. And I can't prove yeah. that. It's not something like racial or sexist where it's like you can't you right. can't really prove that. So people with disabilities get very frustrated because, you know, even like back to like what you do, you know, a lot of people don't want to accommodate us because they're so thinking that financially it's going to cost them a lot. Whereas like when I worked yeah. at a bakery, I had one guy who genuinely looked out for me. And, and so how I packed a lot of the orders is because I couldn't see it written on the regular paper. He had a clipboard, he had a regular blank piece of paper, and then he did a Sharpie and he just did it a little bigger for me. And he wrote all the orders out and it was perfect. And that's all I needed. It was just an extra piece of paper with a Sharpie. Yeah, you wasted a little ink and you wasted a piece of paper, I guess. But in general, you didn't need to buy me a CCTV or anything that would make, you know, to enhance my vision. It was something that simple. And again, it, it, it varies for everyone. But for me, that was just one accommodation that I needed. And that helped get me through the months that I worked there. Um, and that's where I think we're, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Othering of everybody, like we just other everybody to the point where we just are terrified, right? Like, yeah. because so, like, you know, we, we take people with, uh, say, um, you know, learning disabilities or, you know, mental disabilities and we put them in special ed. And I'm not saying that special ed is right, wrong, or different. I do not know about that. Right. But we, what happens is that, you know, kids are growing up, they aren't, they aren't ex- exposed to people with disabilities. So then as adults, it is this terrifying thing. And like you said, we're thinking that there are tons of accommodations and they're never going to, you know, and and there may well be tons of accommodations for a particular person. And there may well not be. Like what we want to do is open a conversation and like just be open to learning and listening. And we've othered so many people that we just, we aren't able to even have those conversations anymore. Yeah, when I, I th- sometimes I look at it like like they look at us like we're the plague, where it's like because we're a huge reminder of what you could be like or what your kids could be. Because I, I don't think people really have it deep into their head; they don't realize one bad decision, you're disabled. Like I'm disabled because of yeah. my eyes, yeah. but I can get to a car accident tomorrow, and I'm disabled times two. You know, like it, it, it's yeah, yeah. my life isn't like I'm not going to walk through life and just say like, oh well, I got one disability, you can't get a second. That doesn't work that way. Because I also have some chronic pain. Yeah. I also have mental health. So it doesn't work that way. But I think people are so afraid to kind of, I, I don't know, is it something they just don't want to accept that, you know, you can be this way? 
Uh, and again, some some are by birth and all that and whatever else. But it's like you think you're lucky yeah. stars that you, this isn't you or this isn't your kids or whatever. But you don't treat them any different because the reality is like when we talk about strength in this country, well, a lot of times we always want to talk about like the soldiers and all that. The strongest people in this country are easily people with disabilities because they have to endure, and they don't. Ha- they, they, there's no. There's no alternate route. There's no way around it. And this isn't just all the hurdles that are thrown in front of us by life and and people. This is just every day getting out of bed is one of the hardest things. The mental game of a lot of stuff. There's people that are physically paralyzed, and the mental paralyzation is worse than the physical paralyzation. Um, right. And there, there's so many psychological games that we have to play just to get, just to kind of fit in to some normalcy in this world. And so you know, yeah. back to what we were talking about off mic of just the, the people of, you know, all the people that are unemployed with people with disabilities. Yes. You know, there's a huge stigma of people with disabilities are lazy and there are some that are, I'm not going to sit there and, you know, no, no community is perfect, but yeah, the, the opportunities and the embarrassment of going to a job, I had to go to a job where they made me read in front of them just to prove that I can see anything. Um, you know, totally. I, and, and they didn't want to accommodate me because I wanted to, I had to take their little test on a computer and they wouldn't put any magnification on it because they said, well, it was locked out from the, the rest of the computer and we can't accommodate that. And, you know, that really? stuff, that stuff is embarrassing because I'm, I'm, I'm grown at, you know, I was in my, you know, I'm 33 now, but I was in like my late twenties and it's like, dude, like, I don't want to go through that. But the reason why I do the things like even with the podcast, I do it so people don't have to fight this hard to go through it. Like I don't want the next generation of me's and your brothers to go through this shit. I want people to just be able to do a podcast, speak their truth and live their life or be able to get a job or go to school without being ridiculed for what they are. When the reality is like they're the strongest person anyone could know because and, and the most powerful and beautiful people because they do so much with so little and they just keep going and keep going and they find a way to just live their lives to the best they can. And it's not easy, but they still smile. They still do things on a daily basis where the, the rest of the people, even with me, like I look at somebody who's paralyzed from the waist down and I go, Jesus Christ, like, how do you do it? Like, I don't understand. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. And I've been through hell, but there's way worse than me. And, and as far as like what they go through. And so, you know, I, I don't understand why people try to make it so hard for um, whether it's your brother or whoever, anybody with a disability, because it's like their lives are already hard. You're just you're making it so much worse. This is why some people with disabilities end up killing themselves, because the, the life, the, the, the disability is not the hardest part. It's the rest of yeah. life. I, re- I actually read there's a quote that um, this is along those lines. It's like, you know, having a disability is the hard part. It's dealing with all of the people about my disability that's the hard part. And, but you have really reminded me something, TJ. When I, like I said, when I present, I really try and humanize, you know, what accessibility is, like who it's actually serving. And one thing I need to really tap into more in myself as well as when I'm, um, you know, getting, getting people to get their heads around the concept is the dignity around people being able to do common everyday things, like be able to book a hotel room online by themselves. Like there is dignity in that. We all want that, right? I don't want to have to ask somebody to help me book a hotel room. Like that's really simple. And I think people can understand that. Just like you were talking about the indignity of having to read in front of these people or like, you know, 
oh my goodness. Like, and so I really want to, I'm going to have to, you know, I just want to tap into that more for myself and then incorporate that more so that I can help people understand this is about common dignity that we all want. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, one of the things you said earlier about with, like, your brother, where people will come over and they'll kind of talk around him. That was a big thing for me, where it was like, hey, uh, we go to a restaurant, and it's like, well, what would he like to have? It's like, uh, hello? But I was so socially awkward, and I was so beaten down by, you know, humans, and because I was also molested in school, and I was bullied, and all these things happened to me, that I was so, like, damaged and distraught that I didn't know how to really fend for myself, so I was kind of hiding behind my mother, and especially my mother, but my grandmother to some degree as well. And I let them speak for me, but there was times where I wanted to speak up and I was starting to try to find my individuality and my, just my voice. And then someone like that, like just, uh, you know, some sort of, uh, what am I looking, you know, a uh, waiter would come by and just strip every confidence that the little bit of confidence that I had from me by just saying, Hey, what would he like to eat? And yeah, and and that it's very disheartening. And again, I'm at a place now where that oh, I don't take yeah. anyone shit. But you know, when I was yeah. in the when I was in that dark state mentally, and I was trying to find who I was because I was more mature than some people my age to certain degrees. But I was also when I became an adult, I was also behind in a lot of ways because I was trying to figure out all these horrible things happened to me that I was trying to figure out how do I like, you know, they always talk about the real world, and it was like it's it's petrifying because it's like man I'm, I'm always getting judged and bullied and bad things are happening to me and you know what how do I like develop um and you know a lot of the things I taught myself as a man like I did an episode on just like all the, the, the father figures good or bad came through my life and how I develop into the guy I am and a lot of time a lot of it was mainly me just trying to figure out and it took me a while to become the man I am because so much shit was put upon me um Mm-hmm. And you know, but when I finally found it, it was like, okay, like we got this now. This is who I am, and now I'm not going to take anyone in shit. I still have love and care, and I still have empathy, but there still is a part of me that's like gone because I I had to fight for so long, and you know, it's the quicksand yeah. thing. But it's always you know, the goal is to kind of even though you're going to end up going backwards, it's the goal is to go two steps forward and one step backward, and not the other way around. And you just keep slowly pulling yourself out, but you're still going to go through shit. You're still going to take a beating. You're still going to go through depression and, you know, and anxiety and all that, but you just keep going. And so, you know, I told my friend Sue Ellen the other day when she was talking about something bad that happened in her family, I was saying, Hey, uh, you know, we're equipped to deal with that. Maybe that's not a great thing to say that we're equipped to deal with bad things that happen to us, but we really are. It doesn't affect us as much, especially now that I'm 33 and I've had so much happen to me that I'm like, you know what? I mean, obviously, there's certain things that would happen that would really affect me. But overall, like, I'm equipped to deal with it. And I'm just a strong person. I, I try to battle every day. And, and some days are easier than others. And obviously, doing this, talking yeah. to you, really, you know, is therapeutic for me as well. Yeah, I I have a, a ton of respect for what you're saying. And you're, you know, and I'm always learning. And um, I just appreciate you sharing your experience in your story with everybody you have had tremendous challenges tremendous success you've overcome so much you're still fighting and and doing amazing things and you know and i hate it just thank you thank you i'm honored to oh, share you. that with me yeah. but I'm I, I, to be on this podcast with you. no i appreciate it I, I just quickly like i just i feel like the only way to help people is to be unfiltered and be completely honest like it just because 
look, shit happens. You know, I told a story recently where it is one of the most embarrassing thing. The one bad thing in my life that I've always hated for is that when I was molested in school, there was a girl in the neighborhood that I started touching when I was 12 because I didn't, I didn't know better. I thought this was right because this is what they did to me in school. And so I started doing it. And then once I got caught, I realized it was wrong. And I talked about like, you know, even like the pornography that I was into. I was into adults. It wasn't that the girl was six years old. It wasn't that she was young or anything like that. It was just that she was someone nice to me. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll be nice to her. This is how you show it. And so, look, it's embarrassing. It's not something I like to talk about. But now I feel like the only way to be honest about any of this stuff or the only way to talk about it is to be brutally honest. Because, look, there's a lot of people that are struggling right now and they just don't. They just feel they're alone. And I know what that feels like. I know what it's like just being a dark cloud in a room just saying, I don't want to leave. And to some degree, a literal dark room where I just, because my eyes were sensitive to the light, way worse than they are now, where I'd just be trapped in a dark room and I don't want to come out mentally, you know, literally and, and figuratively. And, you know, and if you don't talk about this stuff, you know, especially with some of these like court cases, statute of limitations is up and you can't get anyone for that stuff. And people are getting violated yeah. and treated horribly. And in my case, I'm just being honest to tell my story and to show, obviously I'm not perfect and that I've been through so much. And, you know, you can take one, you can take one incident like what I was just talking about. And that could have been, I could have been a serial rapist and been one of those people that just did that thing. But once I realized it was wrong, it was like, okay, I learned my lesson because that was not who I was. It wasn't about hurting people. Um, and because of so many people were hurting me, but I wasn't trying to counteract that by giving other people problems. I was just simply, this is what I thought was right. Cause that's what I was taught was right. As far as by other people, um, not my family, right. not my family, but, um, yeah. You know, and so back to like the the task and the, the conversation is like to me the only way to be any of these mediums or platforms is just to be like when you're talking about this serious type topics is to be brutally honest. And I think so many people, and I've always jokingly and kind of honestly said, usually the people that are literally blind are not the people that are literally blind. It's usually the people you know people yeah. people vote blindly yeah. people. You know, they fight issues blindly. Like they don't, they, they're so biased towards everything because this is how they grew up and all that and whatever. But they don't really see what's right in front of them. Whereas me, I can't see as much as you can, you know, person with sight. But I can, I have empathy. I can see when someone's going through pain. I can see the bullshit. I can see all that. And so, um, yeah, yeah, like I said, that's why I've always been so, you know, attached to the disability community. Not just because I am one. It's just because I, I'm... You know, I could easily get on here, as I said many times, talk about myself or talk about visually impairment, but I don't want to do that because that's, that's a much smaller issue. We're not going to make any difference if we don't stick together and actually show a broader scale of what people with disabilities go through. I have so much respect for your willingness to be so vulnerable and so honest because I truly think that is how we are going to screw each other. Exactly like you were saying is, you know, we just have to know that we aren't alone, right? So, in whatever it is, and by sharing the human experience, by sharing our struggles, by sharing the stupid things that we've done, by sharing the humiliating things we've done, by sharing the things that, like, were just so incredibly wrong, you know, that is where we go. You know, there's that saying that you're only as sick as your secrets, and isn't that the truth, right? Yeah. If I have so much shame around something I've done and I am just shoving it down, shoving it down, 
I cannot let it see the light of the world. That is just going to start chewing away from the inside. So thank you so much for your oh, honesty you. and your vulnerability. Yeah. I guess I, I honestly, I've gotten to a point where I just, I feel like that's the only way to be. And that's like kind of going back to that question I asked you is just like the people that you have in your life. Like I hold them a lot of times to me and people that I've close to that have been through similar things. have just been through hell. Um, and I, you know, some of the darkest places I've been, I've pulled from some, I pulled through some of the most beautiful thoughts and have done things with it because I was in such a hurtful place. Like, you know, I get so frustrated away how the media and so many people talk about mental health because it's on a surface level. It's never the deep, deep thoughts and, and the, like, you don't know, you just, you just immediately assume someone's crazy just because they thought this way and that way. Well, it's like, look, man. I can empathize with a school shooter because I was accused of like, there was a girl that made fun of me said, well, I don't want to mess with him. Cause I think he would, he's probably one of those kids that would shoot up his school. And no, I didn't have the guns and I didn't have the guts to do it, but I did have the anger and I did have the sadness. And I know what it's like to be rejected and to be treated like crap and to be bullied and molested and all these things. And I know what it's like to have, to have that hatred for humans, even the humans that didn't deserve it. Just, just people that are just going to school or work or whatever. And so she wasn't far off. And, and like I said, I, I know what it's like to, to feel hatred for someone you don't even know just because you were so, you were done so wrong in life. Um, and if we don't talk about that stuff, this is how the thing in Michigan happens. This is how all these shootings happen because we just immediately just brush off the mental health stuff and say, go to therapy. Or we immediately brush off someone who was, you know, masturbating to child pornography when they have not committed the ultimate sin, but they were molested by their parents and you expect them to be a regular citizen yet they were violated multiple times by the people that they look up to most and you expect them to be a regular citizen. How I don't get that. And so we, we just immediately, like I said, and this goes back to being open-minded and, and, you know, just not judgmental because we judge people based off of certain things and we act like we aren't that, like we're so far from those things. And it's like, look, you just didn't go through certain experiences that made you think that way, but we all can be, we're all evil and we're all good. It's just the way life takes you, you can end up either one and just be thankful that you didn't go down a route of, you know, whatever it was that took that person to that place. But and again, I'm not, I'm not condoning pedophilia or, you know, you know, these school shooters, but you know, you have to kind of get into their mindset and don't act like you, you know, I don't understand how people can't think how they thought, because if you're a person that went to school and you were lucky enough to get girls or guys or whatever, and, you know, you went to the prom and all that and girls talked to you and you didn't, weren't rejected. Well, that's good for you. But there's people that were bullied and treated like crap and every girl that they found attractive told them no because they were ugly or because they had a disability or whatever. And now they see that yeah. same girl dating some loser that is clearly bad for them. And they're trying to say, what's wrong with me? I'm a nice person. And you start to develop evil thoughts. And look, I'm not saying it's right, but that's the mind is a fucked up place. So... It yeah, is, it is what it is. Yeah. So honesty is the only way to go in about it. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I just appreciate that very much. Yeah, because like I said, I, I'm sure your brother's had really crazy thoughts himself, and look, it, it's it's very unfortunate. It's sad, but it's like if I don't talk about the times when I see people happy—not now, but when I was in my darkest places—you know, 
I talked about just having thoughts that were so ridiculous. It was like, I would see a girl that was pretty and I would immediately assume she would nothing, want nothing to do with me. And I go, Oh, I want to rape her. And it wasn't something I would ever do, but it was a thought that went through my mind that scared the shit out of me to made me go to therapy that made me get medication because I was like, wow, like this is not me at all. And I just want to hurt people. And I don't even know why. And I'm just angry because I saw a pretty girl that did nothing to me. Um, that should be a, terrible person i don't know but i don't know her so why am i judging her when i'm always bitching about people judging me you know you can't it's a hypocrisy you can't do that so um you know like i said it's a constant reminder too right i'm constantly having to remind myself of that because i can super i can absolutely get in that judgy space um i mean really easily especially if i'm tired or if i'm angry or i'm stressed or you know all those things I can hop there in a heartbeat. Sure. Um, but yeah, I guess I don't want to completely hijack your episode with my nonsense. Um, well, yeah. I want to thank you so much. I just, I just, I just have enjoyed our time together and I'm really honored that you would have me on. Thank you. Of course. I hope we can keep in touch and I guess anything you need, any support, I'm here for you. And, um, like I said, my I, pleasure. I absolutely keep in touch. I look forward to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm very glad you got to share, especially your brother's story and just what you go through. Um, but just quickly, can you tell just just in fully, like what 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 do you do with your profession? What what is your ultimate goal? Oh yeah, we are um, we make hospitality websites accessible, and so my goal is to get that message out that like it makes sense for hospitality businesses on every level. It makes business sense. It makes social sense. It, um, it's the right thing to do. There's ROI. And it allows people the dignity we talked about and the those rich life experiences. So that's, that's really my focus. Is it's, it's so simple in so many ways, right? And it just makes so much sense. So... Um, that is my business is Access Design Studio, and I like to speak on podcasts. I like to speak at conferences. I like to you know speak at summits or whatever, and just share the share the word. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I really appreciate it. Um, don't hang up, but I, I'm I just wanted to kind of end the episode. And like I said, thank you for coming on. You're an awesome guest, and uh, I'm really happy that thank you exist. You so and much. What you yeah. do. Thank you. All right.